On March 16, 1984, an inconspicuous man, disguised with a baseball hat and dark sunglasses, waited by a payphone as police escorted an arrested suspect through the Baton Rouge airport. As the guards passed, the disguised man quickly turned and fired a 38 caliber revolver at point-blank range into the suspect's head. Even as the airport erupted into chaos, one voice could be heard above the screams. Why, Gary? Why? Living in a split-custody home is never ideal for a young boy. Much of the time, children are left fatherless, except on weekends, as was the case for father, Gary Plochet. By all accounts, Gary was as good a father to his 10-year-old boy Jody as he could be, but the boy was left without a father throughout the week. Like many boys, Jody loved taking karate lessons each week. In one class in 1983, Jody was introduced to his new instructor, Jeff Doshe. Jeff became something of an authority figure in the boy's life. He was involved in the family's day-to-day life and was well-liked by Jody's mother and father. He helped whip the boy into shape and even helped Jody win a trophy at the Fort Worth Pro-Am Tournament. It's easy to see how Jeff became the young man's best friend and trusted mentor. The karate instructor also came from a broken family, which made it difficult for Jeff to create friendships, and he was known as a loner. Eventually, though, Jeff became interested in his pupil, Jody, beginning to pay an inordinate amount of attention to the young Jody Plochet. One day, he offered to teach Jody how to drive a car. Of course, any 10-year-old lad would leap at such an offer. The opportunity to put a foot forward into the world of manhood and freedom. But once Jody was perched on Jeff's knees, the then 10-year-old felt his karate teacher's hands on his lap. Jody later recounted, I'm thinking, what's going on here? Maybe it's an accident? So I didn't say anything. But now I know he was testing the boundaries. Textbook pedophilia. They all test boundaries. The trusted instructor began victimizing the boy, abuse that quickly escalated into daily and sometimes twice daily events. The pedophile karate instructor continued this activity for almost a year. None of this was known to Jody's mother and father. When asked why Jody never told anyone, he said, I think one of the things people don't really understand is why I didn't tell. One, I was 10. Two, what was happening I knew would upset my parents. Three, at the time, I didn't want to get him in trouble. It was easier for me to keep quiet and shut up than to upset everybody. Things seemed likely to continue until the karate instructor tried to pass a few bad checks. He was set to go to trial and decided to flee the charges. Jeff swung by Jody's house and told the boy's mother he wanted to take him to his home to show the boy the carpet he was installing. This was not unusual because of how ingrained the predator had become in the life of the boy and his family. But Jeff didn't take the boy to see the work, but instead abducted Jody and drove him from Louisiana to California. Jeff Doshe changed his appearance. He shaved his beard and dyed his hair blonde to appear to be the boy's father the entire time continuing to molest and rape the boy. The boy's parents frantically searched for their missing son for 10 days. The FBI traced a phone call from the boy to his mother that led to the capture 
and arrest of the predator. Jeff Doshe was charged with aggravated kidnapping and was extradited back to Louisiana to face trial. The boy's father, Gary, was racked with guilt. He had heard the news that his son had been molested. He was distraught and he was not coping well. His boy had been treated in the most heinous ways and didn't know how to protect his son. Gary was having a drink at the Cotton Club trying to come with terms with the reality of his son's abduction and abuse when the television above the bar caught his attention. The local news had a special update that Jody's abductor, Jeff Doshe, would be arriving at the Baton Rouge airport that night at 9.08 p.m. Gary immediately left the bar and drove to the airport. He stood by the payphones and made a call to a friend shortly before his son's kidnapper walked by. Gary told his friend, here he comes, you're about to hear a shot. As the police escort approached with the abuser in tow, the father of the abused boy quickly turned, leveled his revolver, and fired a single 38 caliber round into Jeff Doshe's head. The airport, quiet a moment before, exploded into panic, but the shocked voice of a police officer yelled above the fray, why Gary, why? Gary responded, if it had been your boy, you would have done it too. Gary later pled no contest to manslaughter. Judge Frank Saya ruled that sending Ploche to prison would not help anyone. Judge Saya said that there was virtually no risk of him committing another crime. Gary was sentenced to seven years suspended sentence, five years parole, and 300 hours community service. The King's Hall podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the King's Hall podcast. I'm Brian Sauvay, joined here by my friends, Eric Kahn, Dan Burkholder. Gentlemen, say hi to the listeners. It's good to have you guys with me today. Hello, thanks for being here. <laughs> it's good to be with you, Eric. <laughs> that was it's a good. bit presumptuous. <laughs> it's good, good to be with you. Hey, uh, I'm at the head of the table. I actually... I know I it looks like you think you're at the head of the table. I'm actually at the head of the table right It's now, funny. I'm so. at the side of the table. I'm interviewing everybody here. Ah, that's true. We all, you know what? In our hearts, we're all at the head of the table. <laughs> it's the King's Hall podcast. It's the King's Hall. Uh, well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode uh, in this season two where we are discussing fatherhood, father hunger, what it, the importance of fathers, the duties of fathers. And today, we're specifically taking up the duty of fathers to protect, to be protectors, to protect their children. And really, as we've you know discussed at several other points in the season so far, fathers serving in churches, fathers serving in city father roles, that father, fathers everywhere really have a duty to protect. We're going to discuss the scope of that protection, the nature of this duty, why it's important, what happens when fathers fail in this duty, and things along those lines. So, First question, gentlemen, for you. Just want to talk about that duty of protection and, and, and talk about where it comes from. How would you explain to a father that this actually is a core aspect of his duties? And I know this might sound obvious. It might sound like a dumb question. Well, of course, fathers are to protect their children. Like that seems pretty dumb. But when we ask these kind of why questions, I think it does help us to get to the heart of some of the principles underlying the duty. So what would, what would you say to that kind of question? Yeah, I would immediately just go somewhere like Genesis 2.15, right? Man has this duty to work and to keep. The keeping is protection. 
And Brian, you know, you brought this up, but we think about it in our world that things like this are obvious. Mm-hmm. But I think we've also found over and over again that it's the obvious things that can so easily be missed. Uh, one of the things that we've been dealing with uh, this week in the news is, of course, the Nashville yeah. uh, church situation, the shooting, very tragic. But but I think, right, as church leaders, as fathers in the church, we're certainly seeing things like that and we're saying, okay, now I am in a very painful way reminded of this duty yeah. to protect, not only physically, but then once you start down that path, as I think we'll discuss more in the show, you also start to see ways that, you know, it's not necessarily a gunman coming to the door, but it's what's coming to your kids through the smartphone screen. It's, you know, what's coming through to your wife. Yeah. Uh, what influences they have in your life. Are you winning? Dan always brings this up and it's really helpful. Are you winning your kids' hearts? Yeah. Yes. So that is really, I think, a, a form of where I would start with protection. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, one aspect of what you said, I hadn't even connected this dot, these dots when we were talking through and preparing for this episode. But you're right that it's, it is usually the obvious places where failure's happening. It's usually not out on the periphery and out on the complex, difficult situations of life. Like most of the failures, most of the areas where destruction is happening culturally in big picture ways and in small picture in a home, in a church, it's usually obvious, big central things that aren't happening where people would say, well, you know, in a church where things are going poorly and where, you know, there's sin that's dividing the church or where there's all sorts of issues. A lot of the time, what's happening is that, you know, churchmen and, and pastors and leaders are probably failing in some very basic, very elementary aspects of what it means to be a church father, a pastor. It, it's, it, and we, we like to think it's probably really complicated and difficult. And it's like, well, no, are you doing the, ob- the, the obvious, the things you think you know already? Are you doing those? Well, and a lot of it is cliche. I mean, we're pastors, but this is a, a cliche thing about pastors. A lot of cliches because they're true. It can be simple things like you, you, you've probably all been there. You're giving counsel to somebody in a counseling meeting. And you're like, well, here's how you need to handle this. And, and then you start thinking about it and you're like, wow, I need to like reapply some of these things in my own yeah, life. So true. And, and I would say that with our kids too. It's like we're, we're teaching. And a lot of times you're spending all this time teaching other people, but you need to focus on, you know, the people in your midst. The other thing I would say in our communities, local, but also like social media, I think there's just a lot of guys who are like worried about issues out there on the screen. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but you can't resolve the conflict in your marriage. Yeah, but what are your kids doing? Right, and I think that comes down to a core responsibility is really the core of yeah. men. I mean, you're given a duty. You, you mentioned created order, which the apostles and Christ go back to continually, mm-hmm. to Genesis, to created order. And what is the job of the man? And is to take responsibility. And so I won't go into too many details, but you know, so when there's an intruder in the house in the night or something goes bump in the night, it would be a coward who would elbow his wife and say, you better go check that out, right? Go check. You're abdicating your responsibility. The same thing would happen if there's something that's infiltrating your home through entertainment, through social media, or through um, the internet that you then decide that you're going to abdicate and you're not going to address that. You're going to let it continue to fester. Or even if you're completely unaware, you're not tending the garden that God's given you. You're abdicating your responsibilities. So at the core of what it means to be a man and a protector is to take responsibility for those that God has entrusted you to. Yeah. And when you go back to that story, that's a great point. You go back all the way to Genesis to that created order and you see that the man is given this duty to work and keep. 
And this, you see this later develop in the priests in the tabernacle and temple are given the same duty. They're to work and keep. Essentially, you see that Adam is functioning as a sort of priest king there in the garden to protect and guard and and do that duty within the house. And, And it makes you understand something that I first heard put in this particular way from a guy on Facebook. He does the family captain stuff, John Clark, John Michael Clark. John Michael Clark, yeah. He, he talked about things that only you can do. Like there's these, as a father, you have to recognize there are certain aspects of your duties that it's not just as if you don't do them, someone else has to. It's that if you don't do them, nobody else even can. Nobody else can protect your children and your wife and your home the same way that a father actually is able to. Nobody could protect and work and keep the garden like the man could, like Adam could. And when he failed, it was a wholesale failure. There was collapse and devastation that resulted. And so we really do have to start at this basic level of recognizing not only that we have verses in the Bible that tell us that these are our duties. Like, I mean, Proverbs 24, 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. We can go to the creation story. There are verses in the Bible that would give us this but even just innately and deeply wired into the nature of men, we find this God-originated desire to save and protect and deliver and rescue and redeem and ransom, to stand between evil and enemy, or between you know enemies and your people. This is just natural theology would already teach us this. Well, it, w- it was interesting. Uh, I won't say who it was, uh, but it was desiring God. And uh, <laughs> John Piper, you know, I love him for a lot of things, but his article on defense, mm-hmm. uh, when oh, he yeah. said that, like, you know, he basically wouldn't defend his wife. You can read the article, whatever. Uh, but what was so interesting to me was the number of guys that were responding and responded to me who were like, I hate this article with every fiber of my being. I can't explain it. Yeah. But what kind of man would allow his wife to be attacked? Because he used verses. Right. Because he used verses and it sounded, you know, pietistic and smart or whatever. But. I think what it comes to is when I'm looking at the the spheres of a man's level of protection, outer walls are physical defense. Mm-hmm. Like if you won't protect your wife physically, why would you protect her spiritually? Right. Right. So outer wall is physical defense. And then inner walls are things like protecting her heart, protecting her mind, uh, leading her in, in worship, protecting her against false teaching and Beth Moore um, and some other, you know, things that would be out there in the but sphere. But you repeat yourself. But I repeat myself, false teachers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think if you if you start thinking about it like that and you say, we we definitely have that duty, okay, and then the physical defense would be like you lock your doors, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you think through, and, and this seems silly, but I'm even thinking through like we're going through with the school shooting and then we're saying things like, well, are we protecting our people? Yeah. Like, you know, are there solid doors? Are, do we have protocols? Are there locks? Are there basic protections? You just kind of have to start there and then work inward to some of the more complex issues, I think. Mm-hmm. And even when you think about that cold open, the story that, that Dan told there at the beginning about a father and his son and this predator and his, you know, a lot of people I think will want to debate the morality in the Romans twelve nine. don't take vengeance, vengeance belongs to God. Like they want to debate the morality. What are we saying here? Are we saying, Anytime some crime is committed, men go go be a vigilante. Well, the the real point actually of that story, even deeply, is is just first to see a living parable of what happens when a father feels like he's failed in his duty here. 
it's this is such a primal responsibility and instinct that you can see that Gary, that father. I mean, you can go there with him. Can you imagine being a father and you feel like I've failed? My son was, you know, he was given over to a predator. I wasn't there for him. I didn't protect him. And the way that that shame and that anger at the injustice rose up in his heart until it was the violent instinct to just destroy his son's attacker overcame him. And I think a point before you even get to talking about the ethics of men stepping up where the state fails to do its duty, even before you get to that question, you just see in a story like that how primal this instinct is. Sin's corrupted, sure, but but every every man on earth, even really wicked men, somewhere deep, they have this instinct where they even recognize, I think, in their conscience, even if it's seared, that they're acting absolutely contrary to nature, to the nature of masculinity, to the nature of fatherhood, all these things. Well, I think it's that that question, I think it's you read in the cold open, Dan, but like where the detective, I guess, says, like, if it was your son, you would have done it too. Um, that sort of comment. But but it gets at that innate natural desire to protect. Um, I also saw it this week with the way that, especially a lot of men were sharing the body cam footage of yeah. the cops taking out this shooter. Yeah, the Covenant School. Um, because I'll be honest with you guys, when you know we we had some connections with people there, thinking about a, a pastor's daughter being killed. I yeah. was actually really fighting back, like intense rage. Yeah, like I, I literally like I want to kill somebody. And then you watch a video like that, and you're like, good, good. Mm-hmm. You you know, there's something about the male soul, and so you even think about male movies where there's these scenes of vengeance, mm. and like. In your heart, you find yourself saying, "I yes, yeah, you I say want this to yes happen." And amen. This and, and I think this gets backwards in our society, particularly this desire for protection gets confounded, like the wires are crossed, mm-hmm. because what will happen is, you know, like again to use this situation, news media is like, "Well, actually, the real victim here was this trans girl," Ugh. or you'll hear it in court. There was a. A case, I, I want to say it was in Iowa, where this girl is like gang raped and killed. And her father, the first thing out of his mouth was, well, you know, we need to forgive these guys. I'm sure they had messed up stuff going on in their life. And, and the, that fatherly instinct is like, no, no, there should be justice. And that's not it. Mm. I, it, it really, I mean, I, I ring, my soul rings true with, with a lot of what you just said. I had a similar, the night, after the day that that shooting had happened, the Covenant School, three little kids, nine-year-olds, three teachers shot and killed. Clearly, I mean, any idiot could see targeted because these are Christians and this person hates Christianity, hates the Lord. I mean, just what it's, it's obvious. I mean, I was up till well past midnight, just chewing it over my head, like angry, sad, thinking about my own kids, thinking about our school, thinking about our church. You know, I know the next morning we're all gathered around in the basement and we're talking, okay, let's review. How are we doing? This is a duty of ours. And, and none of this, I don't want anybody to take this as like that school is, is there that they screwed up. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to insinuate that at all. Like, because evildoers do evil things. And you know what, I'm not blaming the school for, for the evildoer that came in and saying like, well, they, they should have done X, Y, or Z. But it did. It led us to this. You you reckon again with the reality of your duty for protection. 
And so I guess let's get specific about this. When we're talking about protection, that fathers are to be protectors, what kind of domains? Like if we could get granular and say, okay, well, here's this area of life that the father is to build a, you know, walls around and, and guard. And here's this area of life. And here's this area of life. Because there are different aspects. It's not mere physical protection. But let, let's talk about that. What, what kind of domains are we talking about here? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll get to your question. And I'm going to back up for just a minute because one of the things that we realized when we were talking about our church security and our school security yeah. and looking at like uh, covenant school yeah, was that if you are the type of Christian, let's be honest, that listens to the King's Hall, you are going to be especially hated. Oh, right. Like uh, as point. far as the list of, of people that are likely to be attacked, you're going to be high on it. Yep. Like you, your family, your church, your school, you're going to be higher on the list. And so the fact is you have to be able to think like the evildoer in a way you have to be able to outcraft these, these wicked people. And so one of the, one of the exercises, I mean, this seems obvious, but you know, we're standing around talking about church security, about school security. I'm thinking about my home security and you start thinking like, well, if I was to do the unthinkable, where would I go? Yeah. And the fact is you have to think that way. Mm -hmm. You have to step outside yourself and you have to look around and say, where are the weak spots in my defenses? And so the different spheres that men are responsible for, I mean, the first sphere is that outer ring of physical protection that, that Eric mentioned earlier. I mean, that is the first realm of defense. And the fact is, when you look at the responsibilities of men and at the duties that God has given us and equipping us to accomplish the mission of of bringing uh, his kingdom to, to earth is that if you fail at this ring, you are a coward. And, and, and like Eric said, you're going to fail at what, this is the obvious one. Right. It's like protection. Yeah. And if you abandon your family, if you abandon your church, if you abandon your school, if you abandon your community at this ring, what makes it think, what makes you think you're going to step up at any other time when that noise happens in the night when uh, I've had it happen. I live in a, a, a rural part of town. It's called mini ranches or one acre ranches, which is laughable to anybody outside of Utah. Utah yeah. But anyway, I had somebody knocking on my door at 11 PM with face tattoos. This was a little while ago. And, and so naturally you sent your wife downstairs. Naturally. I said, <laughs> Amelia, it's for you. Yeah, this, this person wants they help uh, with a face tattoo removal. Yeah, yeah. So, but this is the point where I think it's it's interesting to, to talk about like, the, what is the most shameful thing a man can do? I think one of the most shameful things a man can do is flee in battle, right? Is to be a coward. And this is the point in which it's tested is, is in the physical protection. If you're not willing to put yourself in the way of danger, physical harm, it's going to be much more difficult when something happens to one of your kids, even if it's something like not necessarily them being molested, like in our story, uh, which could happen, unfortunately, but it's like uh, a pornography comes into the home or in entertainment or your wife, like if your wife gets deceived by some false teacher, that's going to take more courage in some ways 
than just standing in front of the brute that's outside your house trying to get in. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think too, like one of the things I learned in the firearms industry is you think about things like, okay, is my house a hard or soft target? Well, there, you can go online. There's actually, I, I wrote articles for Mossberg. You can go to Mossberg.com on home defense, but there's like a whole list of things that you should be thinking through. And believe it or not, for most people, it doesn't actually start with the firearm. It's things like how solid are your door jams? Um, could somebody breach the door? What kind of locks? What kind of cameras? Do you have a decrepit home with poor lighting? Um, we were talking about this, Dan, but like if you have visible cameras, it's well lit and there is, you know, signs of people are there, it's well kept and et cetera, that's going to deter most people. Yep. So I think thinking through those things, telling men, you need to be doing that. Like, don't wait till something bad happens. You think about your wife, if, if she has, you know, like, you know, going to school or whatever, when she's taking kids out, you know, is she safe? Is she trained? Um, does she know what to do if something bad happens? That's your responsibility to make sure those things happen. And it goes back to a few prerequisites. Number one, don't divorce your wives because if you do, your kids are left unprotected. Mm. That's just an obvious fact, right? So you have to be present. That's one. Num- number two, you have to actually be a physically strong man who is trained and capable of some sort of violence, right? So like a lot of us would agree like, yeah, you should you should have a personal defense firearm on your person. You should have a strategy for your home. But there's a lot of stuff you got to think through like- as I went through all this, it's like, guys are like, oh no, I, I, I'm using buckshot in my house. You know, buckshot is way worse than certain two, two, three rounds. It'll penetrate through like three wallboards. So it's like, well, if you've got kids in a home, you need to think about those things. So I think that would be my first thing is like, there's yeah. more to this. You don't know how much you don't know until you start researching. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting because we don't, this is one of the concepts of working in retail is that I had uh, our our loss department. I can't remember what they're called. The people that catch prevention loss. Yeah. Prevention yeah, loss. loss. Prevention. Yeah. Loss prevention. They came up to, to me one time and they're like, Hey, we're giving a hundred dollar reward to anybody you catch stealing. And I was like, do people actually steal? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> all, all the, the time. time. All the time. And he's That's like, is the, the problem with people that don't steal is that you just assume nobody else steals. Yeah. And so in a way, you're really innocent to the idea that evil people would do things like that. I, I know yeah. that sounds really strange, no, that's but true. it's not just like, if somebody asks you like, oh, do people shoplift? And you're like, oh yeah, I'm sure people shoplift. But when you're on the ground, you're like, but they don't shoplift that much. And then you start looking at the thousands of dollars that this particular retail yep. store was losing on a daily basis. You realize that, no, all of these people are crooks. And if you just open up your eyes, you're going to see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing with your home. I was looking at the YouTube the other day and there was a self-defense tip and I looked at it. And one of the recent trends is to have, wait for like a door-to-door salesman to follow around door-to-door salesman or have somebody dressed as a door-to-door salesman, a solicitor. And then they have this innocent looking person in a polo and a name tag and a clipboard knock on your door. And then when you open the door, the, the bad rush. guy rushes the door, right? And breaches the home because then they don't have to break in. Like they have an open door right there and they yep. can overpower you. And so I, I guess the point is, is not like a, you should be scared, yeah. but you have to be aware. And I would not have been aware of that 
they're door-to-door salesmen everywhere in Utah. Yeah, it's, solar. It, I mean, with the Mormon thing and the Mormon missionaries being used to knocking on doors, it must be the skill set that they have because there are door-to-door salesmen everywhere. But it's something that I hadn't really considered. Yeah. And so there has to be a level of awareness in your preparation of how these thieves actually work. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, simple things like, you know, we've talked about like ring doorbells and, and stuff like that where you can track what's going on. That's helpful. The The other side, we talked about homes, but I would also say as pastors, fathers in the church, mm-hmm. obviously that's something that you need to have a security team. You need to think through them. Yeah. I would just point guys, especially too, if you're looking for training, places like Gunside Academy in Arizona, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to do like a free training for churches. Mm-hmm. So like if you're, you know, Ken Campbell's there uh, leading them. He's a Christian man. And he said, look, we want to prepare these people as best we can. If you want training, we'll, call us, hook it up. So all that to say, there's places where you can get training. You should, you should have security teams yeah. and plans. Over on Bright Hearth, November of, uh, I think it was November. Let me see. Season one, we did an episode called Protecting the Home. The Josh Safe Adams. With yeah. Josh Adams. Yeah, great. He's a Marine in our church. Great hour and a half episode. One of our most popular episodes of all time. Very practical, an hour and a half look at, including in the description, there's like a list of, bunch of stuff that he says, do this for your doors, do this for your, uh, it's very practical all the way down to like, to the point where people love to think about the gun scenario. And then they have no way of putting a fire out on their stove. Right. Or like carbon monoxide. So, I mean, it's very practical stuff when you think about this first ring of, of physical defense. Yeah, and even I with, have used more fire extinguishers in my home than firearms. Yeah, by I just a want lot. You to yeah. Know. Yes. Well, well just also, by one. Also, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of you know small steps to deterrent. So one of the things I keep on my nightstand is actually my car keys mm-hmm. because the front door is by the cars. So if somebody's giving you trouble or in your driveway, you see them on the cameras, just hit the panic button on your car. That probably is going to deter a lot of people. So there's a lot of steps like that that are fortunately much less legally hassle. Some, if that's a word, than discharging <laughs> a firearm. That's like last resort stuff. Yeah, de- def- defensive depth, thinking ahead, that hard target you type know, of thing. Brian, that's really interesting. I hadn't really considered, so I'm just thinking about outside threats because mm-hmm. most of what we're going to talk about yeah. is like false teachers, people, people coming in, yeah. you know, uh, pornography, predators, things like that. But, you know, one of the failures that I had at my home was that I was replacing the screens in my windows and my two-year-old boy fell out of the window and we had to take him down to the children's hospital in Salt Lake. And it was, it was pretty bad. He had a skull fracture. Praise God, he's back to normal. No personality changes or anything like that, but he was se- severely concussed. And what that, I, j- I just share that, you know, kind of like a shameful failure on my part is to encourage you guys, like, I've got sliding windows, so that means when the kids stand up on the window ledge, they have full toe-to-head screen open window. Mm-hmm. And I have a half basement, so it was like an eight-foot drop or so. Mm-hmm. And so it's just to c- encourage you guys, there are things like security screens. Uh, actually, Joshua Adams, who was on your Bright Hearth podcast, I went over to his house, and he has a screen door. Uh, I don't know if you'd like me sharing his home defense. <laughs> layout, but he has a screen door Just don't share, share the that, address. Is, that is impenetrable. <laughs> he literally stabbed it with a knife in front of me and it did nothing. What? Really? Yeah. He's like this thing. You can't even batter it down. It's like more secure than my door. <laughs> anyway, so there are, there are products like that he that would. exist, but some of these things are, are, I guess they're obvious in hindsight. 
you know, yeah. but at the time it was like, nah, it's cool in the morning. I'm going to open the windows and yeah. my child fell out the window. And so there are other physical protection yeah. things that you have to have in mind. The fire extinguishers are actually really important because yeah. I almost burned my house down as well. Boy, Dan. this is not looking good for me, <laughs> this episode. Dan. No, I was removing some carpet adhesive in the basement and I neglected to turn off the pilot light in my water heater and it ignited the fumes of the chemicals that I was using and lit my entire basement on fire. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It got very, very hot and I just screamed upstairs, Amelia, call the fire department. And thankfully she didn't go, why, what's up? She's just like, okay, <laughs> yeah. it must be serious. <laughs> She's like, he probably wouldn't say that if yeah. he didn't mean it. Yeah, but thankfully I had uh, bought a home that was previously owned by a firefighter. And I looked around, I'm like, why are there so many fire extinguishers in this house? There are like six on the three levels of my home. And then I'm like, praise God for the firefighter, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. trying to put out the fire nah, in my house. Could, yeah. It was fine. It was fine. We're, we're okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a, Brian. It's a good transition as we look at some of these other ones. But fundamentally, the the key watchword here is watchfulness. Like, yeah, it's it's proactivity. Yeah, you have to be a. That's one of your duties. Um, it's also interesting, Brian. You've been preaching on Nehemiah, mm-hmm. and I've been thinking a lot about this 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 concept of building, which we're doing. Yeah, uh, and it seems like every Reformed Baptist church loves this image of the sword and the trowel. I don't know why. I love it too. It resonates with it the Reformed resonates. Baptist soul. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. So we have to build, but but there's also this element that we have to stand watch on the walls and protect. Well, you know what, Eric? It's good. It's good you say it just real quick. I know you're going somewhere, but I think it's funny because a lot of times Reformed Presbyterians can tend to fail at the guarding and watching. And I wonder if the Reformed Baptists saw that and they were like, you know what? You got to watch the walls. You can't just build glorious seminaries and institutions. You have to guard them. I appreciate your charity of Reformed Baptist <laughs> brethren, but I don't know if they're that strategic. Maybe not. And you know what? A lot of a lot of SBC seminaries aren't doing that well either. <laughs> anyway, keep going, Eric. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I think even when you look at institutions, it goes back to something you said in one of the sermons. I think it's Aragorn at the Pelennor Fields, mm-hmm. but he says, what good are walls if there are not men to defend them? Yeah. And so, like, for us in this episode, we're saying, well, like, you have to have a strong defense, but it takes you being watchful yeah. um, in order to, to do that. Agree? Yeah, he's, Aragorn specifically says men are better than gates because mm-hmm. they're lamenting the fact that the orcs tore the gate down into Minas Tirith, and, and he's, they're saying, well, we're going to, what, what are we going to do? We can't build another gate. And he said men are better than gates anyway. And that, that point is, and then after that sermon, Joshua Adams actually said the Marines actually have a rule that you can't call it defended unless a Marine is defending it. Interesting. You can call it a fortification. You can call it something else, an obstacle, but you can't call something a defense unless a Marine is defending it. Because I mean, a gate, even the best gate on earth, if it's left unattended, someone will get through. So a determined, like the best safe on earth. A determined person will get in it if they like. You have to be watchful. You have to be. You have to have eyes on the points of attack. Yeah, I think that that that's a really good point. It kind of ties in too with sexual protection. Yeah. So one of the things I've seen a lot of is, you know, and and I've even experienced this in my own life where you're just like, surely there can't be that many ways for like sexual immorality to get into a household these days. If you're a Christian and you catechize and all these things. The reality is it is literally everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it could be on Disney. It could be on... Your smart toaster. Your smart toaster. There's, I mean, I'm sure. There's literally a million ways. And so I, th- I think what it is is, you know, look, uh, when I was a kid, 
it, it was really simple. Like you had to go somewhere to buy something, mm -hmm. you know, a pornographic magazine or something that was inappropriate. Almost no one did it because that was so shameful to do. But then introduce the the uh, smartphone. Smartphone. And then it's at fingertips. It's everywhere. I mean, even Brian, we've experienced this on social media. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you posted things about modesty, I actually, until that point, wasn't aware how actually vile some of this stuff is and can't be. So all that to say is, fathers, what kind of role do you have to have in protecting your family from that known threat? Dan, you were talking about, you need to know what the threat is. You need to think like a wicked person. Well, on sexual issues, how do you think about that issue? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good question. Boy, I was going to I was going to share another story with my life personally about outside attackers, but I think I'll keep that one at bay. But there are neighbors in my neighborhood that I'm like teenage boys yeah. that I'm now like because of certain acts that are really strange I'm like on high alert with my kids. Yep. You know, because teenage boys that go to public school and that have unfettered access to smartphones and to the internet not good. are, no, that is not good. Yeah. So one of the things I think you have to think through in our story today, Jeff, who is the man who abducted this the, is the boy, karate teacher. Yeah. The karate teacher was, he was, the karate teacher. he was, yeah. 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 His yep. pronouns, pronouns are now were was, were was, were was. Yep. So he was molested as a boy. He was also molested as a boy, and then he continued that activity, obviously, into adulthood. But the thing is, these the way these predators operate, and it's interesting that Jody, the boy who was molested, he he said he quote I quoted him. He said that these predators, pedophiles, always test boundaries. Mm -hmm. They're always seeing how far they can get, how much trust they can get. Yeah, they're very very crafty these guys. And so one of the things he had mentioned, Jody, the boy, is that if he, if somebody is taking more interest in your children than you are, that's a huge red flag. Yep. That's a huge red flag. And so I think one of the strategies is to not be very trusting. You know, any good leader has an uh, an amount of skepticism yeah. towards everything. That means entertainment that comes into the house. As something is, uh, I shared this offline. Something as simple as I'm, I'm, my boys are watching Daniel Tiger. Yeah, okay, dunk on me, whatever. Daniel Tiger animated show, and they're talking about how to, you trust doctors no matter what, and to take the shots, and it's going to be okay. And I'm like, oh boys, I just want you to know <laughs> that this is a lie. Do Dan not goes, believe a single thing Dan these goes people on a say. Three hour anti vax yeah. rant. <laughs> and my boys are just wide eyed. Looking Do you guys want to like, see blood clots? Yeah. <laughs> Do it again, Daddy. So anyway. Uh, the point is that you have to have a healthy amount of skepticism towards everything yeah. because it doesn't take a conspiracy theorist to look at Disney and go, wait a minute, they're full of pedophiles. Oh, Hollywood, full of pedophiles. The government, full of pedophiles. Pedophiles are everywhere. Yeah. like And they're after your kids. They're not just after your kids and like, I'm going to abduct them, right. you know, but- they're after the hearts of your children yeah, after and they want to capture them by sneaking in mm -hmm. sexual promiscuity and images and trying to enslave them. Yeah. yeah they want to make to their a world, death cult. They want to make a world where it's easier for all of their perversions to flourish under the noonday sun and not have to creep around in, in the back alley in the back room. This is why the push to normalize pedophilia with map minor attracted persons 
you know, we, you have to, to understand, celebrate it too, yeah, not just they, accept they it. They want it to come into the light and then celebrate it and then force you to celebrate it. That's the last step. And the goal is that they would be able to just practice their perversions freely because they've discipled the world to, to revel in their perversions. It's like at this point, like you mentioned teenagers, it's sad, but I basically assume that anybody 12 and over is using pornography, boy or girl. I pretty much have that as an assumption now, like in our neighborhood with kids playing with our kids, you know, because it's now, now, like you said, it's not go somewhere. It's my kids could be in my own backyard and neighborhood kids come over and they have their phone or their Kindle or whatever it is. And all of a sudden my kids are being exposed, not only to the material, but to the other, to this person without impulse control, who's also been exposed to the material. And so now they have a 12, 13 year old, a lot of, um, a lot of predators are actually young teenagers. Yeah. And I think it's also important to emphasize that it should be the father that is the one that's leading the charge in this, in sexual protection. Yeah. Because one thing I've noticed is that because women aren't wired in the same way as men, where, you know, guys think about sex a lot and most women don't think about sex as much, is that there's, back to my theft shoplifting example, is that if you're not thinking that way, you won't think that way. Mm-hmm. Right? right. If you don't think about sex all the time and understand the power of the enslavement of pornography and of sexual lust, then you won't think that way. And so there's a lot of, I would say there would be tend to be more ignorance from your wife than maybe, maybe from you, the husband. Yeah. One of the books I would recommend on this front for people is Gavin De Becker's book, which is titled the gift of fear. So in this book, he talks a lot about how in these situations, whether it's as a kid, as a, as, as a woman, he'll tell stories of people who got raped and stuff like that. And there was always stuff early on where they felt really awkward and like, this should end. I should tell this person to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't be in this situation. I should flee. But what would happen is it's like this pressure and this shame of like, well, no, I'm. you talk yourself out of it. And so one of the things that's helpful with this book, and I would say to parents, it's really helpful to look at if the situation makes you uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable. Yep. You trust that instinct and you say, no. You know, if if your kid's hanging out with somebody, I, I've had this multiple times um, where you're, you're, they're hanging out with people and you kind of get a weird feeling. You're like, no, I don't want to be the jerk who, you know, upsets that family, whatever. And then- come to find out, you know, the kid's looking at porn, you know, dad tells you about the problem. And then immediately you're going, well, let's, let's be real for a minute about pornography. It's teaching them how to do absurdly crazy things. Yeah. So I don't want my kids exposed to that. So if, if those kids are around my kids, like I will straight, especially as they've gotten older, I will have a talk with my kids. I'll be like, look, their parents allow them to have unfettered access to a phone. That's heinous. Here's pornography's on there. It's bad. It'll destroy your soul. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad aren't okay with that. I don't care if they hate us. Like you have to get over that fear of what people think of you Yep. and say, absolutely not. Here are our rules. I remember years ago, Tim Challies even had this where he was like, we don't do sleepovers. And a lot of people were like, oh, that, why not? That's what people in our culture do. Well, especially as kids get older, it's like all sorts of bad things can and do happen when you have kids asleep in dark places together. And as a parent, a lot of times you could think, oh man, this makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to do anything. 
the reality is I think what, what I'm saying is you, you, you should trust that instinct, cultivate that instinct and protect your kids. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, this, this area of protection is one that, that proactivity level is turned to 11. It should be turned to 11 because a lot of physical threats can be more obvious and they're visible and you're thinking about well, somebody the frequency harming. is, it's, it's low. lower. It's low. And even just thinking about choking and fire protection and firearms right, right. and home defense and church defense, a lot of that's pretty straightforward. Like someone wants to come physically harm my child or something's going to physically harm my child. Well, this, this sexual protect, protection element, it's so much sneakier, so much more beneath the surface. The people that are going to come and attempt to actively destroy your children, man, they are wily. I'm even thinking about like you you guys have been, you've mentioned just the, the people who are making this content, their whole goal is to use it as an enslaving, whether it's just to make money off of them or even more nefarious reasons, their whole goal is to be sneaky. Their whole goal is to get past your defenses. It's, it's, to, it's to get in there behind the walls. So fathers have to just be so vigilant today that it's like, I can't think of another time in history that's even close to analogous. Yeah, and and I think Brian, one of the other parts of it is, you know, David's failure was allowing his own son Absalom to steal the hearts of the young men. Mm-hmm. And so, again, to Dan's points, we have to be so protective. Like, who has your kids' heart? Yeah. And one of the things I thought of today, and and I'm willing to call it out because I think it should be called out. So you've got the manosphere. You've got Anthony Dream Johnson. Today, there's a tweet. Jesus Christ was the Anthony Fauci of his day. He said, I'm God, I'm science, blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal. There's a lot of people who play nice with this stuff. This is absolutely disgusting, wicked, vile. I want to protect my kids against people like Anthony Johnson. He, he, he This content is- We're naming names today. It is so deceptive. Eric is on this podcast for a reason. For this reason. He's the hammer. The hammer. He's the hammer in a room of hammers. In a room of hammers. But, but I think this is so important because I want to be able to say to my kids just straight up, like, hey, if, if you're exposed, they're not at this point, thank God. But if you're exposed to Twitter, one yeah. day you might have a smartphone, you might be on here. Here's the type of people that are on here. Let me tell you about this guy. He, there's a lot of helpful stuff that might be good, but these guys are sexual deviants. Like the the stuff that's going on in the manosphere about yeah, pickup absolutely. artists and game and all this stuff. The body counts. And, yeah. it, body counts. It's like, okay, well, these are the things we need to be aware of. It's yeah. going to be appealing to sons who maybe go out in the world and are, you know, disaffected by what they find in the female, you know, dating scene. And you need to be prepared. And this is what I would say to dads too. Frank conversations with your kids. Yeah. I mean, just as bluntly frank as possible about these issues. Maybe we get into some of it in the after hours. But you have to have very practical, proverbial, Solomonic conversations well, with your kids, you see that person, that's bad. Do you want to be like that? No. Because part of it is that part of sexual protection is also teaching your young men, your boys, to not become evil sexual predators. Yes. They're, they're in, in the sinful heart of every man. There is a twisted, there's a, there's a reality that their soul can be twisted mm-hmm. by the world, the flesh, and the devil until they become from pastor's homes, from from you know homes that love to focus on the family stuff, they can become twisted sexual predators 
because that's there's the sin is in their heart. I mean, the, the the evil desire lives in the heart of man. So we need to be, you're right. We need to be telling our sons like, look, part of the hook here and things like the manosphere is men who are noticing certain things that, that are actually terrible and bad and they're diagnosing problems. some problems. They're like, hey, you know, here's problems with gynocentricity and things. Like, and then, so they use that and then they say, so here's the answer and let me disciple you. And at the end of the day, even even the guys, when you're looking at the secular manosphere, even the guys who like, Anthony's always talking about drifters or drifters, grifters, trying to call it grifters. <laughs> drifters, Those Tokyo drifts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was thinking like Tokyo drift. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, right. uh, even, even in that world, it's like, but you're talking to a guy who's boasted of sleeping with a hundred plus women. You are the grifter. Like you, you, you don't know your left hand from your right hand. It's a bunch of Ninevites trying to, teach you. Yeah. And so the other side of that is uh, to take Solomon's warning to his sons to not go after the woman that is on the street corner, the woman that's calling from her house, because there are going to be women that will try to enslave your sons. That will be a form of sexual predator themselves. Absolutely. So one of the things that you can do proactively is to, well, first of all, disciple your daughters to protect them from sexual promiscuity, all of the things that we've said about your sons, to not expose them to things like that. You have to be hyper vigilant with your daughters because they're obviously going to be a target from big time predators and things like that. And you also have like the curse of beauty. So especially so if she's really pretty, but then you also want to warn your sons against the worthless woman, against the woman with honey from her lips that will try to entice your, your boys Yep. because that is very enticing. I've gone to college. I've been to a bar. I know, believe it or not, Baptist. Yeah. I have been to a bar and those places are full of that type of woman and they will yeah. ensnare you and capture you. And so one of the ways that you can be really proactive in the sexual protection of your son is to describe and to disciple him and to win his heart towards the idea of what a godly woman looks like. Yeah. You know, just thinking back through my childhood in you know, taking inventory of, of the, the girls that I knew and as I look at my boys and they're growing up and what sort of, you know, daughter-in-law would I like to have and what type of wife would I like them to have? And I'm doing inventory of the, you know, in my past and I'm looking and I'm like, that girl, uh, these girls, these types of girls were, should have been the type that I was attracted to. And I wasn't, um, for one reason or another, but the, my, my whole point is to train the affections of the hearts of your sons to be attracted to the right thing and not to the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Dan, I think part of that too is again, like dads are asking, okay, but how do I practically do that? And again, I would say presence, be present with your kids, spend a lot of quality time, but have lots of conversations, have open, honest, frank conversations. Um, we use, you know, if, you know, you, you meet a girl, it's like, okay, what are some of the issues here? Here's what you guard against. Yeah. Here's the way that you approach this relationship. Here's the, I, I talk to my kids specifically about what, what types of conversations should you have with girls? What would be a conversation you shouldn't have? If you ever feel uncomfortable, here's what you should do. You know, here's how to make her feel comfortable. You walk through some of those things and you realize, well, that means I've got to pay attention to who my kids' friends are. Mm-hmm. I need to be on the watch all the time. Who are they interacting with? Yep. You know, what are they doing with their free time? Are they being productive in those hours? Again, that's on you as a dad. Don't assume somebody else will do that. 
especially not your wife. And Eric, an- another aspect of this that's that's so important, and it's actually leads to a pretty hard call that some fathers are going to have to make, is that you really do need your children to be around lots of godly men and women. And God, you know, so they have these models before them and they understand the difference because they can see it. They look at the women in your church and they should be able to see, wow, look, these are chaste, feminine, beautiful, godly women, gentle and quiet spirit, respect their husbands. That shouldn't be one in a thousand in your community. Or in the same with the men, that mas- masculine, godly, proactive men. And some fathers are going to have to make this call where they realize, okay, my kids are coming. Maybe they're six, seven, eight, nine right now. And you're thinking, well, this is far off, whatever. You might need to make the call right now that you're in a place where that's not even possible. Your church, your region, you might actually have to move so that you have the time for your children to actually grow up in a community and I don't mean it has to be perfect or huge, but is it there? Do they have the models there? Are, I've, I've counseled some men. Again, we don't tell everybody to up and move to one of the, you know, like the two or three churches in America that everybody wants to move to. Don't necessarily do that, but you should be thinking, man, am I in a place? I've talked to lots of guys. They're in a place where it is actually impossible. There are no churches for them to go to. And some of them, I'm like, look, move, think about it. Yeah, I, I would say having gone through it, mm-hmm. like spending maybe like five years in situations that weren't great, having all the same. So like when we get those comments from people, I've felt and lived through every one yeah. of those feelings. Yep. Right. So from experience, I'm saying this. One of the turning points for why I moved to Ogden, Dan said to me at one point, not taking a risk is taking a risk. Yeah. And you're risking your family and you're risking all those things. And the more I thought about it, it, it it, it just hit me that no matter what it costs, I need to put first priorities first, as you're saying, be around mm-hmm. godly people. Yep. I can also say after being here for over a year that, as Dan told me would be the case, I wish I had done it sooner. And I, I would go back even and, and kind of double down and say like, I don't care what it costs. You cannot overestimate the value of being around godly people. I mean, even for for my boys, right? To, to be around even older women that are, you know, like your wives and where they can look and they can say, this is what a godly wife looks like. How many churches that I've been a part of where you look at the elders wives and they're like the cattiest, most gossipy, slanderous women you've ever met in your life. The problem is you tend to long for and desire ultimately what you're used to. Mm -hmm. So if you're used to that kind of woman, that's probably what you'll fall into. Well, I think in our church, there's such a sweet example of what godly femininity looks like. That, yeah. that if nothing else, I can say my boys have seen it. Mm-hmm. They've seen it modeled. Yep. Um, even the young girls, you, you notice in dress, attire, mannerisms, yeah. because of our women, we never like sat the young ladies down and be like, here's what you need to do. But all of a sudden you see women dressing differently, mm-hmm. carrying themselves differently, yep. acting with more decorum. Nobody had that conversation even. And you can see the seasoning over time as people integrate into the community. Often sheer example alone. Yes. No one told them. And you can just see it. I mean, you could you could take a snapshot at one month, a year, two years, and it's not Stepford Wife stuff. It's just the seasoning of a godly community. Yeah. This is These are the aspects of proactivity and fathers serving as protectors that are absolutely underrated because we often want to jump to the reactive things. Well, and I, th- I think that's a big thing is you, you saw the reaction because this actually was on – social media, the Gary Plochet thing. Yeah. You saw the reaction where dudes were like, yeah, go get them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. there was all these like positive responses, you know, 
be the change you want to see. And we laugh and we're like, yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I understand the sentiment. But at the same time, it's it's actually much more important that we take proactive measures. Yeah, what like, if he hadn't been in a broken home? Right, so it's like, you know, Gary, I, the dad, right? He had yeah. divorced his wife. Yep. So the son's living apart from his father. They were really happy that this 20-some-year-old karate teacher was being so active in his life yeah. and was like an authority figure and like a father figure in the absence of his dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I think is really important to circle back to, you talked about the dress of the ladies in our church and just the way they present themselves and things like that. Mm -hmm. That was not because of manipulation. No. You no. know, so when you say we didn't talk to them, it wasn't like, well, shame, like the silent shame treatment. And, yeah. No, what it was, was you win their heart to a certain standard, you know, of beauty and of righteousness and, and just of culture. But in the same way, in the situation with the karate teacher and stuff, if Gary, the boy's dad, had won his heart and was involved and was an authority figure, there's no space for karate teacher pedophile. No, no, Big there's no room for is, him. He nope. picks a different boy. No Ren, room. Ren, Ryan Nationalist, talks about this. He's like, look, the left is all about being gross and disgusting. So really, as Christians, we ought to have a monopoly on beauty. Yeah. And so- that's where I was going, Dan, with, with yeah. the ladies is it's like, we never had to have like a culture, cultish, like hyper-controlling no. conversation where like, all ladies will dress this way. I think what happens is you see the ladies in our church. You know, I, I remember coming here and being refreshed. We came into Brian's home. We came into Dan's home. And I'm like, these ladies are lovely and they're peaceful and their homes are nice. And you walk away and you say, I want that. And I never had a conversation with my wife, but- even since we got here, there's been a greater desire to dress and be beautiful and act in the same sorts of ways that she sees happening. It's like, there was never a direct conversation. It's just that Brian always talks about glory. We're attracted to glory. Yeah. And so if you set before people a picture of beauty and glory and peace and happiness, that's actually more powerful in a world that is disgusting. Yes. Yeah. And you become like those you surround yourselves with. Yeah. Yes. Good company. I mean, it's, it's, it's the obvious, you become like your teachers, you become like your peers. This is why in all this, even, even talking about spiritual protection of kids as well. I mean, these, these factors really all come together, physical protection, sexual protection, spiritual protection. A lot of it, m the most important thing you can do as a father is actually to be involved in, in a community where there's godliness and good culture and thick Christian living and all of those things happening, because then that you're not constantly having to fight 50 front battles. We have enough battles in fighting the world and the flesh and the temptation of the devil. We shouldn't have then come into our church communities and the places where we choose to live and build and all these things and be like, and now I have to fight my pastor and the, and the church culture and well, that, all the, that's, that's stupid. It doesn't work. That's what I want to ask is who, who can, who can, who can win that battle? It's like, there's, you can't just be an Island. I'm just going to ask a question. Yeah. Ask the question. Eric. I, I want to hear you guys' response. Can you be spiritually protecting your family if you're not in a good church with good preaching and good pastoral discipline? It's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, the road is hard. I, 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 I would say near impossible. And the reason I would say that is because there is actual authority in a pastor, whether good or bad. There is actually authority in the office. That's why they're going to be judged more harshly there is authority that is in that office. Mm -hmm. And so if you take your family to a church and you're hearing 
bad preaching. And I don't mean like the quality of the oration is bad. Uh, if you hear one of my sermons, you know that. No, but the content, the if the content is actually bad and you're like, well, I'll just have to counter disciple my kids. Yeah. It's actually the similar thing with education. You know, I've heard like, oh, I send my kids to public school. And then when they get home, I just tell them, you know, undo the things that they learned. Don't all day. be like any of your peers like, or listen to most of what your teachers say. Yeah, what I mean, what the heck are you doing? It's like you're <laughs> you're going to have your children and your family sit under the authority of a preacher that is not preaching the word of God and then expect to counter disciple them and to have a good outcome. No, Mm-mm. no, that's that is not going to work. Mm-mm. No, it's it's absolutely not. This is a if, if there's one thing that I could get the our normative li, normal listeners to take away from an episode like this, it's don't think that just because you've thought about the pro like the reactive aspects of physical protection and, and you'd absolutely like your heart rises up when you hear a story of a guy running with the gun in and doing the glorious deed. Are you proactive? Are you proactive? Are you building a world? Are you building a culture? Are you building a family? Are you in a place where other people are doing that? where you are confident that your children can grow up and they're going to have any number of examples to point to. Because that's the most important, that's the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter in protection is actually much more about building than it is about just shooting people. I mean, it's much, much, much more about building up, winning the heart, building the kind of children that they are a protector. They, They grow to not need somebody to handle them. They grow up to... That's the goal. Like we're trying to raise men and women, not just children. We're trying to raise men and women who are going to grow up to be the protectors and the examples. And it's just, it's just so hard to do that when you're fighting a six front battle. Yeah. I think that's, that's incredibly important. Uh, Brian, I just want to ask, I know we had some of the things on here as we're wrapping up, maybe we highlight some of these, but prerequisites for protectors. Yeah. Uh, Maybe somewhere to close. One of them that I've talked a lot about and um, people love it. People love to hear this, especially in the mainline evangelical church. They love you particularly. Yeah, because I'm like velvet gloves. You're guys. especially beloved by the theologically liberal world. Yes. I've found, I've noticed. Yes. I know how to interact and be winsome. So one of the things I've said is men should be dangerous and violent. They should have a capacity for violence. Of course, again, going back to the shooting, everybody's like, oh, masculinity, so toxic. And then they're like praising the guys who went in and shot this tranny for shooting kids, right? Mm -hmm. So in order, Dan, to be a protector, you do have to have a capacity, correct me if I'm wrong, to actually be dangerous, to be violent. I am not going to correct you because you are not wrong. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. In fact, I like it so much, Brian. Oh, there's sound I I bet the slider's not up. What is the... Mr. No, that, that's <laughs> not even. That's, oh, he hit the wrong one. I hit the wrong. Dan one. agrees with him, and he calls him gay. It's labeled. Yeah, what? What <laughs> yeah, in the world right. is going it's on? Labeled. It's even labeled. Well, I had pulled labeled, out my gun I... to make a point, mm-hmm. and then and then you actually like I I actually want to use it. You wanted <laughs> no. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> no violence in the king's hall. Okay, no, you're right. You're right, Eric. And we've talked about some of these elements here, like thinking like an evildoer. You, know, you you just mentioned men should be capable of da- of being dangerous, of doing violence. Men need to be able to think. You, you mentioned this earlier, Dan. Think like an evildoer to protect, to know their strategies. Approach your home or your internet or your and think, if I were a really evil person who wanted to destroy my children, what would I do? 
and then put up bulwarks and keep a watch on them. There, there are things like this, but there are even less, I think, obvious ones. Things like godly father protectors have to be willing to confront difficult, awkward, and painful situations. Because a lot of the time what happens in a, in a family, and we have a perfect biblical example in Absalom and David and Amnon in Tamar, where fathers are called to step into chaos, to step into sin, to step into dysfunction, to protect, to make the right enemies, to make the situation awkward. Like how many families have this story where, where something terrible happened and the father did nothing and everything was destroyed forever. That's, this is a, a story that's played out. Won't go into detail. I mean, it's played out my family line. I'm not talking about my father, by the way, but I mean, in my family line, we've seen in different corners where passivity leads to just absolute dysfunction where someone needed to step in and they didn't. You think of, again, this story where Amnon rapes Tamar, who there's David's kids, and David just, he stands, he stands back. He knows about it. He doesn't do anything. And so that's how Absalom steps in. He's so offended. Absalom steps in and then he ends up winning the hearts of the people. There's the whole battle. It ends in Absalom's death. David's, you know, shame. All of this is because David didn't step in as a fatherly protector. And so some of you, you know, fathers need to think about this. In your family dynamics, where are the biggest pain points that you're asking your wife to deal with that you're not just stepping in and saying, I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to be the awkward yeah. guy. I'm going to go and I'm going to say like, let's actually, let's talk about this. This And this is a lesson uh, but I've had to learn over and over in marriage growing. You know, when you get married, I was 20 when we got married. There were lots of situations where as a young husband and then as a young father, I had to learn, same as a pastor, that you can't let sleeping dogs lie. You can't just let some of these things roll. They won't fix themselves. You have to be the guy that goes in and takes responsibility and initiative and say, what happens when something bad has already happened? Maybe you weren't proactive enough. Maybe it was just stuff happens. But it's interesting with David, the first sin is bad. Yeah. Right? The, the, yeah, it's bad. It's the terrible. rape is bad. The Then losing Absalom's heart yeah. and having a complete revolt against mm-hmm. David's kingdom is like a thousand times worse. Yeah, it, it, it metastasized. So this, that's one of the things that would encourage men is like, if you don't do something now, it's only going to get worse. Yep. Like cancer doesn't get better when you're like, ah, let's let it'll it. It'll be fine. Let's let it marinate. <laughs> let's let it marinate. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know why that hit me. So like I was picturing a doctor. Do you want to know the he best walks part? In, he's like got a big tumor on his neck and he's like, let's let it marinate. You want to know the best part? Yeah. Let's hear it. I stole that straight up. I heard that one time from Ed Stetzer. Is that where, isn't that where you learn most of your best? 99% just naming names. 99% Ed Stetzer, 1% Beth. Beth. Beth, Beth Moore. Yep. You Locked in. Locked, Locked in. in. When I say Beth Moore and Russell Moore, I actually mean the same person. But yeah, continue. <laughs> no, that, I, that, that was, I just think in terms of prerequisites, there has to be an a priori willingness to be disliked, to confront difficult situations, yeah. to be the guy that steps in and says, this isn't like, I'm going to own this. This is my thing. And on the proactivity and in the reactive side, a father has to do that. When that doesn't happen, when that fails, worlds fall apart. Families collapse, civilization collapse, schools collapse, churches collapse. Like this is how you, this is how a culture dies. Is fathers not, and this is why it's so disgusting when you see purported conservative men in institutions or in churches who are like, I'm conservative, I'm holding the line here and ignoring massive issues. 
Well, and we see this over and over again. This has happened many times where you have these like conservative stalwarts and then in their seminaries and in their institutions, the people are running amok with CRT and all kinds of other, you know, nonsense. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the, the meme, right? Where, you, wherever you see like a white BLM girl protesting somewhere, there's a capitalist father who paid for the education and all of it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the reality. So then you would say like, okay, don't make that stupid decision though. Don't give your daughter to the world. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. would be bad. Yep. Well, well, on that bombshell, any last any last words, gentlemen, before we wrap it up? No. Basically, Brian, I want to let people know that you have an album. These are my Eric, so true king key initiatives. By the way, if you haven't checked out Psalm one forty nine, boom. I know you have. I have. Checked have you guys? Ben's in here. You guys have checked this out. Yeah, I've listened to the whole thing. Okay. As, All as the way. my generation says, this like is... like liquid gold dripping into my ears. Liquid Ooh, waves which, of love were washing over me. Might be uncomfortable now that I think about it. <laughs> I'm liquid. I am, wild, <laughs> I am wildly uncomfortable with how my waves music is being described right now. Waves of liquid love. Waves of liquid love. Oh, yeah. Like, go wanted, back to Chuck Finney. Listener, Chuck. I did not intend for anybody to promote my album with these descriptions. It but, is. But it is like waves yet, of liquid love. Here we are. As my generation says, Brian's music is... Gang gang. Oh, uh, your generation, still don't Eric. Know what that means, Eric. How old are you? I am twenty-two. I think you. Oh, you almost said twenty-seven, and that was too old. You realize you actually have to be because you're like twenty-seven. Yeah. That's a kid, right? <laughs> I'm forty-eight. That's a millennial. Zoomer guys. Album comes out Monday. This is going to come out Friday. Yes. Then you'll just have to wait Saturday, Sunday. And then Monday, April 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2023, even Dragon Shell and Praise. Ten psalms, two original songs. Go listen to it. Tell your friends. Gang, gang. As Eric Contest. please stop saying that? Gang, gang. Thank you, Eric. Highest compliment. Your generation is more like, what up, dog? It's more like sick, nasty, bro. Yo, yo. (laughs) Ben's shaking his head that I still have it wrong. We should probably. Okay, Okay, guys. Yeah. So so the other thing I want to. Oh, boy. Let's hear it. Huge pitch right here. New Christendom Press Conference. Oh, tell me about it. So I feel like we can announce this. Yeah, I feel. We have special. I mean, most likely. Special speaker. I will be speaking. You're right. Dan is speaking. Dan will be. I will be speaking. (laughs) Wait, have I been hype? Have I been invited to speak? You know what? We'll figure it Get out. Get hype, Burke Holder fans. Burke yes. Holder enjoyers. Burke joyers. Thank so, you to my one fan out there. Mom, I see you. Thank you, fam. Mom, I see you. It's like the WNBA meme. We'd like to thank the fan for supporting the show. Yay. Yeah. So June 8th and 10th, come to Ogden, Utah. It's are, are you going to so are, are say anything about this? We've got to speak. Let's, let's tease it cryptically for now. Okay. Because I think that will actually pay off better so that no matter who it is, people will be disappointed. Like, let's really hype it. Let's say there is going to be a speaker who's showing up. Some of the best uh, conference talks, I almost said speaks. <laughs> Some of the best conference talks I've ever heard have been from the mouth of this individual. I, I actually agree with that. No, I'm, I'm not even kidding. That's I'm, not, I'm not hyping. This is just reality. This hype. And so we'll have that announcement soon for you guys, but just just get hyped. Like it, the lineup, it just keeps getting better and better. The the the, the joy that we're going to share, the psalms we're going to sing, it yeah, got to be there. If nothing else, we're going to have Quinn Bible. We have a VIP. I th- there was one ticket left. Like there, There's literally one ticket left to the VIP, to the VIP night. Revise so with Quinn Bible. We're almost sold out. Yes. No, we're one, one ticket. ticket? 
One oh good grief. Oh boy. Yes. So ribeyes for that one person who's left. There's going to be libations, cigars. Also, we have Matt Reynolds from Barbell Logic. Yes. If you want to learn how to get strong, Matt is going to be there and show everyone up. I think if you come and watch his pitch, like you will actually be ripped automatically. Is that actually how it works? by osmosis? Jacked. Yes. Those be jacked. You watch his talk. You inject yourself. I mean, that's what I've with heard. Testosterone. I and can't then wait. $12,000 a month of testosterone. $12,000. Nick Solheim? Nick Solheim is going to be there from American Moment. We're going to be talking about why Christians should not turn over the political sphere to the leftist commie trannies. That's it sounds like a bad idea when you said that, it. Those are not his words. Those are my words. <laughs> That's the Eric Kahn. We should get an Eric Kahn translation of, of something. I don't want to say the Bible because it seems it blasphemous. Terrible. But just of some, maybe like Dostoevsky, the Eric Kahn translation. Yes. Crime and punishment. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Yes. So all that to say. Link in the description. Uh, yeah, link in the description. As the kids say. Sign up for Patreon. Support this show. Wink it, say quee, whatever. Wink it, quee, so <laughs> wink it. You're, what did you just I know you The man doesn't even know our tagline. <laughs> what in the oh, world no, just happened? I don't know. I just want to say this like episode festival, needs to end. festival lint mob or something. You know, whatever. When you're at the festival, take the lint out of your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys. I'm going to protect you from having to listen to any more of this because that's what fathers do. Thanks for listening in on this episode of the King's Hall Podcast. You know what? Wink it, Quisa Wink it. He conquers who conquers himself. See you next time on the King's Hall. That's literally what I said. Justin Potter's clear.